about to enter the Double Dragon Podcast with Shane Greenwood, owner of Double Dragon Gym in the Sutherland Shire, Trent Lawrence, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, and active pro Muay Thai fighter, Hugh O'Donnell. Are you ready? Fight! Fight! And uh, welcome back to End of the Double Dragon Podcast, episode 40 from there. Doing it on December 31st, so probably the time you hear this, it'll be 2019. All right, so happy New Year's, you filthy animals. Um, and it's me, Shane Greenwood, on the mic. And with me now is Trent. Hello. Yeah. And calling in from the land of smiles, aka Thailand, it's Hugh O'Donnell. Hello. <laughs> so, like, um, if you're hearing a little bit of feedback, like the cicadas and, you know, you know, the cook bar song, just general Australian noise. I'm doing it on the balcony in my place. That Be- one. Beer burps. Yeah, beer burps. Yeah, we just got all the You get the dogs from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you know, just starting the new year a bit early as it goes. And this fine Australian day in there. But, um, but yeah, you, how's it How's it going in Thailand, mate? Been there for a couple of days now. How's, the, how's it all acclimatizing? Uh, it's not a hard life here. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> it never is in Thailand. <laughs> Yeah, it's been good. Like the accommodation's really nice, and the gym's been cool. Everyone's really friendly, and it's full of Australian people, as it tends to be in this part of the world. So it's just like being at home, mm-hmm. really nice. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, definitely. How do you how do you find this? It's I guess because um, you're around a lot of other Australians. And that was is there much culture shock? Do you find anything different in Thailand that you you have to get used to? Oh, uh, I mean like. Where we are now, it's just so, like, geared towards, like, the kind of resort-style stay that it's, like, there's not a lot of it. Like, I think where, as you get out sort of into the streets, like, and you go to where actually, like, you know, Thai people live, not just a bunch of Westerners are on holiday, like, you can feel a little bit of just, like, differences in communication and things like that, but it's nothing too difficult. Everyone's pretty friendly. Mm-hmm. That's good. Whereabouts are you staying? Well, I mean, like, Hua Hin is the district, but um, Hua Hin, as in the sort of city where people holiday, is probably, like, I think 20 minutes away. I haven't gone in yet, so I'm not sure exactly how long it is. Like, it's not too long on, like, a scooter or a taxi. So we kind of, like, sort of 15, 20 minutes outside of, like, Hua Hin Beach, which is what most people think when they think Hua Hin. So it's just, like, a really quiet kind of corner of Hawaii, I guess. Like, there's not much going on here. Like, there's not a heap around. Like, there's this sort of resort, which is nice. The resort has its own restaurant and there's a bit of street food, like, every different kind of server. Mm. Let's go 7-Eleven and a chemist, but there's not, like, heaps happening here. Like, it's really quiet. Yeah. Well, that's, that's to be expected in the news. And that, as we were talking before we recorded from there, it's like, you know, it's not a bad time for you to just, like, just get used to it all and, like, you know, going to some of the places you're training at. Um, said earlier, but like a <clears throat> good way to kind of just ease your way in, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah, like it's been good. Everything's been really good for acclimatizing. Like even the weather's been virtually exactly the same as home, so I haven't been feeling super tired on the pads and stuff like that. And the training's just been kind of like knocking around, hit the pads and sparring type stuff, like not overly structured, just as things wind down for New Year's. So like by the time things get going properly early, 
he's feeling good for it, I think. Yeah, nice. That's good. Whereas, like, you, you trained at a couple of gyms already. Which gyms did you say you, you trained at? So, where I came here to train at was um, which is kind of like has like a bit of a cult following on social media, so that like a lot of people have heard of it because of the Sijalpo twins who own the place. There's a lot of videos going around of those two kind of like play sparring and stuff, with, and they just have like beautiful technique. Like, so that's where I came to train um, to get a feel for that. So I got to go there for a day, but um, it was a bit. Uh, they had their main fight and drive that was fighting on Max Muay in the tire. That night, the, the night I was there, he was weighing in that night. So, like, a bunch of the head trainers and Jaipet, who's a big fixture of the gym, were gone. So, it was a bit of kind of just like a sort of open day, just hit some pads and sparring and things like that. Because mm-hmm. without the head trainers, they, they didn't have, like, the regimented structure. Mm-hmm. And then after that, with um, the NASA Jaipo shuts for a couple of days over New Year. So, I've been going to another spot in Hawaii to pull from in Muay Thai. And I've done a bit of work with their head trainer. It's really quiet there, but it's been cool. Hmm. That's good. Like um, you said, you've done a little bit of sparring, sparring with the ties. Yeah, like kind of, yeah, I got to spar with um, Inter at Sichapo the first day that I was there. And uh, I sparred with one of the ties at uh, four from this morning. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's, it's like they're not hard training or anything there, but how do you feel like so far about the, the tire style way of training? Much different than what you're used to in Australia? Um... It's sort of like, not, like, it's kind of just, what you do in Australia is like, maybe, it's sort of similar, it's just that like, maybe everything you do in a week in Australia, you do in one day here, I guess. Mm. Like, the training's pretty, like, what I do in, in Australia, like, I guess there's no standard way we train in Australia, like, gym to gym, everyone has their own thing, but like, spar is just like, technical controlled sparring. You could honest hard pad work and then just repetition stuff on the bags, like all the, mm-hmm. you know, hundred knees, hundreds of knees and stuff like that. It's mostly like, I kind of make a point of training that way at home. I think it's a good way to train. It's just a higher volume of training because you have so many hours of the day to do. So where like at home one day might you might drill and the next day you might do pads and things like that. You sort of have time to do all of that in one day here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, that's that's the thing. Like, you, you've got plenty of time to do it and instead of trying to cram it in from there, like, you know, basically just take your time and get your repetitions perfect and just keep doing them. Yeah, that's kind of what's been. And it's nice, like, you know that um, you can stay in, like, being, it's part of just, like, not just being in Thailand but just being on holidays. Like, you know, you can just spend three hours in the gym just getting things done, mm-hmm. whereas at home maybe you don't have that leisure, that luxury. Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I guess, like, you know, after the news from there, like, see how it ramps up after that and, like, and then get, like, um, get all get all the trainers and the ties back in and see how it goes. Yeah, and everyone will be getting back into, like, a lot of guys, like, a lot of guys get their last fight in for sort of the last week. Like, there's a lot going on, sort of, Boxing Day, 27th, 28th, 29th. So, like, it's a real wind down out of New Year's. Now, after the couple of days off, guys will be getting ready for their next fight. So, mm-hmm. it'll be good to see. Nah, nice, mate. Cool. All right. So, yeah. Next week when we check in on you, won't we'll see if you still see if you're still alive, eh? Still hot. <laughs> Have they given you jelly legs yet? Uh, I had like some filthy calf cramps that I've been working through for like since I got here, pretty much. <laughs> like, <laughs> not too bad. We're full time sorted out. Ah, it's all right. That's why Ty's got huge calves, you know. Rub it down, Ty. <laughs> Get a massage. That'll help. Yeah, that will help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all readily available. 
Nah, nice. All right, cool. So we're getting to like the episode now. From there, like um, like UFC two thirty two was on yesterday, and it was really good. Like talk about that, but also like well, just do today because like it's basically the end of the year, the day that we're recording. But um, we'll talk about like you know some of the fighters that really stood out in two thousand eighteen. Like we're gonna have like an international pick for all of us, and probably we'll have an Australian pick as well. Like um, if we have enough time, we'll just see how we get for time from there. But like yeah, let's start with like what we saw yesterday in UFC two three two. So that was headlined by John Jones and Alexander Gustafsson from there. Um, no, John, uh, John Jones won. Like, you know, he, uh, he stopped uh, Gustafsson ground and pound in the third round. Uh, he's, he's like, you know, he's a great fighter. Just a shit person. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I, wasn't, I wasn't really that interested in seeing that fight from there. But like, more so because, like, you know, just all the shit they went with it. But, like, um, I just... No, that just John Jones is just so much better than everyone in that division. From that, he um, looked pretty unstoppable yesterday. Mm. Got to give him credit though, like you know, in terms of like yeah, all, like the bullshit he puts everyone through, like from there, with like you know, just all sorts of drugs of his of his choosings. Do you think a lot of it's yeah. mind games now at this point? Probably, and probably just selling points from the UFC and things like that. But then again, like you know, what's the who's who's that gonna? Attract fans, you know, it was originally meant to be at Las Vegas and they had to change to Los Angeles because John uh, Jones, like, tested for Tyranobol metabolites from there, which is, like, I don't know, that's that's way beyond my, uh, beyond my um, knowledge base from that, but they decided to hold, move the whole show just because of him. That one, yeah, they, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, like, you see a lot of the other fighters complaining, it's like, you know, there's more higher taxes in Los Angeles you have to pay compared to Las Vegas. They had to move their families across as well, mm-hmm. and the flights and accommodation, and the fans as well. Yeah. But I saw the way they did it was, it wasn't like, if you had a ticket in Las Vegas, you automatically had one in California, like, you just had sort of a priority window to buy them. Yeah. So there were some people that were coming, obviously a whole new market for tickets opens up in California that wanted tickets. So there were people I saw on um, Facebook and stuff that were coming over from Sweden to support Gustafsson, missed out on tickets that they had already bought when they moved to California. Yeah, that's shitty. That is shitty. Yeah, that's shitty. That's really shitty. Really shitty. But then again, maybe they just having the trouble watching their boy get fucking Colin and Molly walked. But like I said, like, you know, credit to is after, like, you know, all the bullshit pushed through, he's probably one of the smarter, like, you know, uh, probably has one of the highest fight IQs in the UFC. Gustafson said he shut him down early. Mm. He said that's how it felt. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, if you watch their first match from, like, you know, how many years ago from there, it was, like, it was completely different from there. And, like, you know, like, on the first fight, you know, John Jones goes, hey, I wasn't really trampling. I was partying two days before that fight. You know, I didn't really care. And it's like, it ended up being a pretty close fight. Still, you know, I had it for Jones pretty clear, but very competitive about. But this one, like, yeah, it was was just a total shutout. Yeah. Yeah. Gustafsson really couldn't get anything going on that one. And credit to Jones, yeah, you know, he's, he's just a smart fighter. He's got to be one of the goats at this point, mm. despite all the drug use and heads and everything. Yeah. But, like, um, I don't know. I don't know where you go from here, because, like, I don't really see DC fighting again, really. Because, like, I kind of know how that's going to go. He called him out at the end, but like, I was sitting there going, yeah, really, though? It's it. Yeah, yeah. It seems like that's what the UFC wants to do as well. Like, they've been kind of posting on their socials about, like, they've been anti that up, but they kind of are just the only two light heavyweights. Or, like, they're in their own class of light heavyweights, but then even from there, Jones is his own class compared to DC. Yeah. 
That's it. I don't know, mate. Like, you know, you, there's a surging Anthony Smith coming through. <laughs> but um, I kind of maybe see, like, you know, DC just having his number fight or so, um, heavyweight title, and then, like, maybe taking the Lesnar fight, and then, like, just retiring, and then maybe John Jones, you know, uh, bidding for the heavyweight title, whoever, or, like, you know, if it's a vacant title, maybe him and Stephen Mirochik, or him versus Francis Ngannou. <laughs> That'd be pretty fun. That sounds logical to me, mm. yeah. And then, like, he'll be another two-time champion, like, um, like a um, uh, Cody main event that that happened on <coughs> on this card as well. Amanda Nunes versus uh, Chris Cyborg. Who the fuck saw that? No, happen? that shocked everyone. That one. There's, there's no way I would have picked it, but like, you know, when you saw, see the fight, like, Cyborg was kind of like, like, he started off well, like, you know, kind of pouring out, touching on uh, <clears throat> Amanda Nunes with the lean heads from the command, and then as soon as she just got cracked a good one, she just went in berserker mode and just charge straight in it's like um it's it was just bizarre but like again like you know i guess with cyborg as well like it's what's one of fights in the past so why she's just yeah. so physically dominant than all the other girls she fought but then she she hit the like pretty much i'd say like amanda nunez is like the women's goat she's she's the john yeah. jo- you know the john jones version or the you know <clears throat> any other kind of great she she's she's gonna be put up there as one of the greats ever from there because just yeah, her resume is just awesome, you know. Yeah, especially the run she's on now, like mm. to dethrone Misha for the title, get mm. Nash Rousey to have like Rousey uh, and Cyborg on the resume. Oh. Exactly. It's absolutely insane, and it just but it also just highlights as well. Like she's just destroying a chick, and then and then she had like two razor close fights with like uh, Valentina Shomanko. Just tells you how good Sh- uh, Valentina is as well. Really, yeah. But I mean, like, you can even follow, like, I've been seeing this, like, in the discussion of uh, is Amanda the Ghost. Like, you can say, like, she beats Shevchenko, who then went down and beat, like, one of the other female goats. Like, if you really track it like that, her resume is, like, unbelievable at this point. Yeah, definitely from there. But, like, yeah, it was, like, a pretty emphatic finish. Like, um, yeah, she just, she said it's good. She kind of just, uh, I mean, it was just kind of, it's, Playing it, playing it at base because she just knew Cyborg was going to come out through and just basically just just start swinging these uh, overhand angles and shovel punches yeah. in and like it was really that's nice. That's a really nice angle that she, the one that put Cyborg down finally, that like really like like that overhand from the ceiling, that super diagonal overhand, that was mm. really nice. Yeah, yeah, it's just that downhill kind of punch from there. And Jesus, it's like <laughs> the amount of times she got dropped Cyborg and come back up, give it to her as well. She's she is tough. Also, yeah, fair play, Cyborg. Like four or five, that went fifty seconds. Cyborg chose. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder if, like, you know, it's one of those fights because, like, Amanda Nunes. Like, I don't know. What do you do with it now? Who Who can you put against? Do they wait a while and then do a rematch with with a Cyborg? Dana says he's not sold on the rematch. Like, I don't see how you don't do a rematch. Like, if Amanda wants to stay at 45, like, if she's interested... I can understand if Amanda's not interested in doing more at 45. Mm. Like, it's not her class. Yeah. Um, but I don't see how you... If there's... Like, what, who does Amanda fight outside of that? Uh, it was like, pretty... not lost in 13, How many years? 13 years, I think? Yeah. Almost 14. 13 years. Yeah, like... You do a rematch. Like, why did you give Rousey a rematch? Not even a rematch because the championship had changed hands. Like, or Cody Garbrandt got a rematch. Or, um, like, the list goes on. Mm. Oh, yeah. Worth a rematch. And we often see ones that are not. Mm-hmm. It wasn't wasn't a close fight, though. It was, it was pretty dominant. Yeah. It wasn't a close fight, but I think it's still worth a rematch. Like, mm. 
I, I think like Cyborg with a better game plan, like you know, it'd be a lot tougher fight from there. She just approached it a bit differently. She now she has to respect the man in his power. Yeah, yeah. I also just think it's been so many years since she'd even really been touched. Yeah, like now Cyborg will kind of approach her training with the knowledge that she's human. You know, you need that a little bit. Mm. Like I don't think obviously she got smashed, but I don't think. I think really at the end of it, she got caught. Mm. Yeah. Like I, don't, I don't think that's super telling necessarily, not to discredit Amanda Nunes, but like when you see a fight like that, it's not necessarily telling you how it would play out over the course of five rounds. Mm-hmm. Ah, nah. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, in, it's been known in the past for like she's, Amanda Nunes herself has also like, you know, been a little bit more conservative style the last of five rounds, but like, you know, you think a little bit early in the career, like she was almost gassing through like on three rounds from there. But yeah, yeah. a gas tank problem. Like I remember her, I think her last loss was Zingano. Yes. Um, yeah. I remember, but yeah, that was a fight where like she just walloped Zingano for a round and then gassed. Mm. Like that was when they think people like, for some reason a lot of people don't like Amanda Nunes for some reason, I don't know what the problem is. Mm, I can't um, imagine. I can't imagine why it wouldn't be any kind of prejudice of any kind, considering <laughs> her lifestyle choice. But they're always like, oh, "Yeah, but she gasses." It's like, okay, she just flatlined cyborg back. Really didn't matter if she had a gas tank. Oh yeah, well, she didn't need it. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. But like, a, a, going on to this other card quickly before we do all the other stuff for the. Uh, fighters of the year, like um, this card in particular was the sad card. It's like the changing of the guard card from there. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, Christina uh, Cyborg in the game for a long time. She got it dealt with. Um, Carlos Conduit. Yeah. Oof, like what was what was it, that trend? Like it was a Kimura, but then it just then spun out, but into an armbar almost. Oh, uh, that was still a shoulder lock. Mm. You can still you can still like wrench the shoulder even if the arm is straightened like that. He had a, he had it pretty locked in as a Kimura. And, uh, and Carlos tried to turn his arm out of it, but really he was done. Once once the hand is behind the back, that's hard to come back from. Mm-hmm. You've lost all of that strength, so there's no muscling out of it. And I think um, I, I think he once uh, once that was locked in and it was behind his back, all he had to do was really leverage it and keep wrenching. Yeah, it was sort of it went from a, a flat out Kimura grip to a sort of a straight arm kind of lock. Mm. I don't know how you describe it, but it was definitely from the Kimura. Yeah, strange. Mm. But like, you know, inventive. So that was Michael Chiesa. Mm. And that was his first fight at 170, so he moved up a division from there. And beat his idol. Yeah. I, I saw a photo of him online before he had the beard and he was wearing a, wearing a Carlos Condit fan t-shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, but that might be a good weight class for Chiesa because like in the past from there, like he's looked pretty drawn out a lot of times to make that 155 cut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so also on this card as well, um, Alexander Volkanovski versus uh, defeated Chad Mesnes. I'll talk about that a little bit later because like uh, Volkanovski is one of my picks for the Australian fight of the year. That one, but like, um, but yeah, that was a great performance. That's that's a breakout performance. That's like you know makes him recognised all across the board as like yeah a guy to watch for the strap in the future. Um, yeah, Walt Harris defeated uh, Andre Olowski. Jeez, like I can't believe he's still going, Andre Olowski. I know. Like, it's still fun. Like, I was watching him with the walkout for the next game. Man, that's a fucked up nose. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure he's not breathing through that. <laughs> his, his nose looks like the, the map of Italy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a distinct boot shape right now. Um, going down again. Uh, Megan Anderson defeated Kat Zingano. That, that was a weird one. It was like an orange. That was a very weird one. Yeah. So how did you guys read that? Because it's not an eye poke, right? They can't normally treat something like that as an eye poke. No. I, I think... It, 
don't know. I think it should be a no contest, really. Yeah. That one. Because, um, yeah, it was just okay, the big toes just hit the eye from there. And, like, uh, it looked like she pretty bad. She didn't open her eyes. But I've read now it was, it was just like it just ended up being a cut on the eyelid. So the eye itself is okay. But that's unfortunate from there. That one. Um, couldn't really get a read off. It was only a minute in from that one. Like, you could see Ketson going to try to pressure her. But, like, then she would, like, uh, run herself along the fence. And Megan Anderson starting to get that range off of that. And just, just flick the kick up, really. There was, there was really nothing to it. That mm. one, and it was just an unfortunate happening. Hopefully, they they do it again. And there, because like I want to see how Megan Anderson goes. And then she needs more fights and like that, and needs to uh, get into that. One. Yeah, oh, I think we lost you. Let's see, come back, you. Come back, you. Are you back? <laughs> you dropped out there, mate. Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but I'm back. Ah, that happens. Sam, so, right, I just kept talking like you were there anyway. Yeah, we thought you were still there. <laughs> what part yeah. did you drop out on? <laughs> what we were talking about? Uh, like, only like 10 seconds ago. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll just say like, you know, the, the eye injury with Katzen Garner versus Megan Anderson was, yeah, unfortunate. So Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, and like, then... Oh, yeah, it was bizarre. But like, yeah, like uh, like Trent was just saying then, like, you know, is it really like a win or should it be a no contest from there? But, hmm. It's a tough one. Like, I don't know. Maybe it probably warranted a ref break. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think it possibly could have been a no. I, I think it's more the issue that, like, the ref said go. Yeah. And Anderson went. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah it's not at all a satisfying win. Nah. Yeah. It was. It was like, yeah, they put. I don't know. Maybe they should run it back, but, like, you know. Like, I think they should just run it back, is probably the best way to go about it. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like you know, same thing. Like I'm, I'm keen to see Megan Anderson get in the ring a bit, uh, get in the octagon a bit more. But like you know, what there isn't many contenders of that featherweight com- division. <laughs> like, I'm starting to hear talk again that maybe they're going to. I mean, like not again. Cause they're just talking about it in flyweight too. That maybe they're going to shut shut shot down up there as well. Yeah. You mean? Yeah, that's fair. You know, it's like it's hard to build division on, on nothing, or like you know, you only make a division for one person. <laughs> and then, yeah, then, well, then yeah, division for one person. She's not even on top anymore. Yeah. So it's like, she's yeah. <laughs> right, and then quickly just down the other card, like uh, like the the other one from there. Um, yeah, Ryan Hall submits BJ Penn by heel hook in the first round. That was pretty. BJ Penn right up there next to Chuckledale. <laughs> Just stop it, you! <laughs> You're so mean. It's mean. It might be justified, but it's, it's still mean. Mm. But back, yeah, like how's that that entry into that uh, into his heel? Yeah, just call it what it was. It was an Imanari roll mm. straight into an outside heel hook. Yeah, like it was funny though. Like you see, like BJ Penn got into it, but he, like he actually turned into the heel hook. Or like, or like you know, like the defense wasn't that great. No, I, I agree. He turned the wrong way. Uh, the defence I've seen for it has been you just don't, don't turn towards it, don't don't go to the ground and keep yes, stay up and and defend against their legs. Mm-hmm. But there was there was none of that. It was all, I think it must might have caught him by surprise. Mm. That's it. Oh, well, but like yeah, it's like I know what's he? Is he like is he like zero and nine? Oh man, like, yeah, he hasn't won a fight. That's it. Was it his sixth loss in a row or something? Yeah, it was. Yeah, six in a row. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't no. I don't even know why the UFC is keeping around. He had that one win against uh, Matt Hughes and that one draw oh, against okay. John Pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm... But yeah, he's uh, one win, eight losses, and one draw uh, oh. since 
Diego Sanchez in 2009. Yeah, he's just he's now as well, and I'm just like, oh man, there's a lot of wear and tear there. Yeah. Turned 40 and started young. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah yeah. It's a long time in the game. Yeah. He's... Well, it's kind of weird because like BJ fell into this skid like right on the back of losing the title. Like there was no middle ground. Like he lost the title and he got that win over Matt Hughes. That was just like a two old guy match. Like he kind of like knocked Matt Hughes into retirement. And then he fell all the way into this skid with the John Fitch draw that he probably lost the John Fitch fight as well. It should probably be mm. seven losses in a row. And then just losses on losses and losses. But like you go to before this skid, he wasn't just like doing okay, he was a champion. Yeah. Weird. Like he fell all the way from having the title to just yeah. It's hard to watch. It's hard to. I can't. I can't. I hate watching it. Actually, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm a fan. I like BJ Penn, and I respect him, and he's yeah. achieved a, a ton more than anyone ever will. So please just stop. <laughs> yeah, that's enough, BJ. Yeah, mm. it's like you know. I guess he's one of those guys. Even though he's like, he's nowhere near. You can't seriously think he's like in you know title hunting contention, but like just probably these guys. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what else am I meant to do? All I can do is fight. He's well, maybe he just wants to win. He just wants to ride the ship of this run, but it just really seems to not even be a possibility at this point. Oh, catchweight fight, CM Punk, do it. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I don't want to see him stick around and lose to Arthur Logo. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. I just wonder how many fights he has left in his contract because, like, I, I go, why does the UFC keep him around? Because, like, obviously, it's like he's got a pretty high price tag now for the amount of fights he's had. Like, yeah. And like you know, like I can't imagine people just tuning in just to watch BJ Penn either. Yeah, not in, not not in this era. Mm. Oh well, but like um, the UFC two uh, thirty two event, like overall it was good. Like it was good action packed fights. It was it was it was like um not a bad way to end the year for me, really. Yeah, I was impressed. Mm. Yeah. So <clears throat> now we're getting to our business from there. So like uh, like I said before, so I don't. I don't even think we've done this kind of before where it's like, yeah, we kind of go like a fight of the year because we've only been going for a year on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, we're just going to talk about a few fighters that like, you know, over 2018 really made a name for themselves or like their prospects that are really coming up from there. But like, you know, just guys that, that yeah, you should like, um, well, listen to that, they should go out and watch in general. So like, um, let's start off with uh, Trent first from that one. And like, you know, um, who you got for us, buddy? So I went, I went with a jiu-jitsu fighter or grappler for this one for our international, my international fighter. I've gone with um, Gordon Ryan. Um, he's only had his black belt since uh, 2016, I think, um, which isn't a long time. He's only 23 years old, but he's already won. I know it was two, 2017, but there's a little bit of for ADCC. We won that. He won the the gold in his uh, 88 kilo division. But he's won the absolute. Uh, got silver in the absolute for that as well. But this year he's done like double gold for his division and absolute in um, in the pans in the IBJJF pans no gi. Uh, he's done. Uh, was it, what else did he do? 2017 ADCC world champion. 2018 he went on to do the pan no gi double gold. He went on and did uh, quintet. He was on team alpha male, and he basically won that for the team. And it was um, a late replacement as well. Yeah, yeah, it was late notice. Uh, he went in. Um, he went and uh, submitted Josh Barnett, which is no mean feat, and Marcus Souza, um, and they took. He basically carried them through to the finals on that. 
So, um, yeah, what was it? Uh, Black Belt Absolute, IBJJF, no, no Gi World Championships. Black Belt, he went to 97.5 in the No Gi Worlds there, and he got that. Quintet 3, he got the uh, Pans, No Gi, and Absolute, and 97.5 kilo division there as well. And that, that was just 2018. Mm-hmm. He got the Cypro Super Fight in 2017, uh, EBI 14, the Absolute. Um, he got his Morris 8 Super Fight, uh, ADCC Silver Absolute, Gold 88 kilos, and it just goes on and on. So that's just in the last two years. So, and he's 23 years old. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes from here. Um, and you got to give a—he he gives a lot of credit to John Danaher and his systems for that. And uh, I've started studying Danaher's stuff a lot, and I can see why. It's very systematic. There's a real systematic approach to it. Um, and I think having a systematic approach to the way they do everything helps with that memory retention. Mm. Um, and if you're in a spot, you kind of know where to go from there, especially like, you know, the, the leg locks and heel hooks and the triangles and the rear naked chokes. For, for Ryan, they're his highest percentage submissions. Um, and I think he finished, uh, BJJ Heroes did their annual top 10 for uh, submission finishes. And I can't remember, he, he finished in the top 10 somewhere. It was in the upper half of the top 10, I think. Um, but he did really well. He's like an 80% submission rate. Uh, I think the only thing that got his percentage down was at the pans where he got through on points for a few of the guys, for a few of the matches there. It's yeah. Funny, it's funny, like, you know, especially when he doesn't get submissions, like, he still, like, just, like, annihilates people, like Yuri Samoa's, like, doesn't get points scored on him, things like that. He just still goes, I suck today because I didn't submit anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suck because I didn't submit one of the world's best grapplers, you know, grapplers, Yui Samoas. Like, I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> that's, that's a tall order. Yeah. But, like, also, like, Gordon Ryan as well. Like, um, like you, you see little snippets of his seminars as well. Like, um, like the BJ Fanatics, like, they have a Facebook group, but they have little posts, like, little small posts of Gordon Ryan from there. And, like, he's... He's a smart dude. Like he's like he's, he's like you know obviously learned from John Danaher, but like he can also coach the, the actual system itself and be very articulate about it. Everything everything I've read about his coaching has been like a lot, especially been a lot of high praise for him. People who go to his seminars and give feedback on it, saying he's very systematic like Danaher, and you can see why he's he's picked it up so quickly in such a short amount of time, relatively mm-hmm. speaking. Yeah, I think he's got like he's got his. I think his own like seminar thing coming out, but it's like you know just basically like weight training, <laughs> gains. And I was going, what the fuck? I go, oh, I'm not buying that. No. But like, um, but like, what's like, what's it like? He's just there, just doing bodybuilder work with like, um, his girlfriend from there, that uh, Natalia, I think it was. Yeah. Sunda, like her Instagram's Hey Sunny. She's jacked. Yeah. And so it's he. Yeah. That one. Like I'll be, I'll be definitely going to sniff test. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah like but like that's how i go i go um, when he did that i go oh really i go there's so many other things you can do but i guess john danaher probably covered him as well like you know he's ended the system series yeah i think he's going to do he's going to do one on um, guard passing yeah. i don't know if danaher's going to cover that but i would definitely look at uh, gordon ryan's guard passing series he, what's the style he uses like that um over, like a, what kind of guard busting does he usually go to again? It does a lot of wrestling, but I think he does a bit of a, a double... A, double overhook? Du- yeah, yeah, um, over-under kind oh. of stuff and pressure stuff. Um, there's other guys, uh, like um, 
who is it, Lepre, Lucas, Lucas Lepre or someone like that. I think he's, guys like that do a lot of knee slicing, which is which I like that kind of stuff, but um, I want to get uh, I want to get more into the pressure passing, so, mm. yeah. yeah. Well, I don't it transfers to both games. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. And, like, you know, that's that's something as well, like Gordon Ryan said, it's like, you know, he starts training in the gear, he goes, yeah, I'm just going to just beat everyone in gear as well because it's, like, something to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, interesting, though. He's, he's transitioning into um, MMA mm. gradually. Not ready yet, but he's he's testing the waters. He's doing the compact jiu-jitsu against Fabricio Verdun. Interesting. He, yeah. But, you know, I, I just don't know how that'll look. Like, I guess, like, it's one of those ones where, like, you know, combat jiu-jitsu in general, I go, eh. Yeah. But that's a match I would watch. It's a bit of slap fighting, mm. but just because it's those guys doing it, I just want to see how it plays out. Mm. How much striking will they actually use compared to how much, you know, submission attacks will they use? Because, mm. like, you know, Fabricio Verdun, like, most people know him for his MMA, but absolutely no slouch in the jiu-jitsu game either. No, that's right. Mm. Yeah, so Gordon Ryan, he's, yeah, I don't know. I think the sky's the limit for him at the moment. Yeah, and then if you go down further, his brother, Nicky Ryan. He's only 17. <laughs> he's a 17-year-old purple belt taking out some of the world's best um, black belts, including Imanari. Mm. He was a big influence on Ryan Hall um, yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But it's like, um, imagine like, you know, like, you know, Gordon Ryan's co- like, the Michelle Man kind of Kuda's knowledge and then Gordon Ryan, uh, and Nicky Ryan is going straight into with Dan here in one ear and Gordon in the other ear. It's like, man, <laughs> it's like, he could probably be a surpassing brother. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I get a scary feeling that there's going to be a whole new level of, I don't know, a skill and, uh, I don't know. The next generation who are coming up under these guys, mm-hmm. they're going to be in- interesting to watch. Nice. Good. All right. So we'll go from there now. And then um, who you got picked you for your international pick? All right. So for my international pick, you know, I had to stay in Thailand, of course. Oh, of course. My <laughs> uh, pick for fighting here in Muay Thai and the sports writers of Thailand agree with me is Taiwan Chai, PK San Chai Muay Thai Gym. Hmm. Um, Taiwan Shai, like, I think as a, a fighter of the year, so like I said, like, he's, like, the sports writer's fighter of the year in Thailand is, like, one of the biggest accolades a fighter can win, like, the big media award, and, like, one of the, well, probably, like, the big reason that Taiwan Shai has kind of really come out in 2018 was his wins over Cube Love Town. Yeah. So, like, the story for... Challenge I hear is that like Kulab Dam was sort of the fighter of last year. Uh, Kulab Dam came through. Kulab Dam had like two of the most insane Muay Thai trilogies I've ever seen in a row because he fought uh, the legend Muay Thai three times mm. and then immediately backed that up with moving into fighting Challenge uh, I three times in a row. So he fought two fighters in six fights. But um. Kulab Dam had come through as like a guy who was really looking unstoppable coming into his trilogy with Mong Tai. Mong Tai managed to beat him the first time in an absolute war, like absolutely insane. Where like Kulab Dam is one of the most ferocious power punches I've ever seen in Thai boxing at all. Like he, when he came up through Channel Seven, he just knocked everybody out. Like at one point, I think he had like a nine-five win streak with seven knockouts, with just some insane stuff. Like he worked so hard on his hands. Like some, but just has like ridiculous flying knees and stuff like that. But uh, he came in to fight Mong Tai, knocked Mong Tai down a bunch of times, got outpointed the first time, and the second time fought Mong Tai to a draw, and the third time knocked Mong Tai out. So 
like he kind of you can see him build into that trilogy. He came into the year with like a lot of heat, like as really the guy, like his camp were really backing him as like you know Thailand's big star. And like he signed with one championship and things like that. Has um, Kyulatam, so he's getting the attention of uh, his national audiences. And so he was matched with Tawanchai, who in Thailand was very well known, but I think to like the wider audiences who were really getting behind Kyulatam because the style is so exciting, people were a little bit less familiar with. But Kyulatam um, coming to fight with Mongtai, uh, with uh, Tawanchai, all three fights. It was like one 15-round fight almost. Like, it was just so... Like, the story of every fight was so similar because, like, Tomachai just put on a clean, technical shutdown show on Kyulabdam every time they fought. And showed... Yeah, like, I think those are... I can't remember who did it, I think. I'm trying to find the name of it. Uh, Muay Thai Pros made, like, a really cool breakdown video of, like, the strategies used by... Tao and try to beat Kulabdam all three times because it was just one of the most advanced displays of just shutting down an aggressive power puncher. Like Tao and just showed this beautiful ability to kind of hold the space that he wanted to land middle kicks to kind of just know when to throw his technique to damage Kulabdam and know when to throw things. Because Kulabdam's the guy that, if you fight him, like where you're in trouble is if you're going to sit down and just scrap with him. Because he waits for you to throw, and then that's when he kind of just comes over the top and closes his face and lays his hands. He has this brutally powerful hands. So when Kawanchai would kind of sit himself on the ropes, just prod out with something, he used a nice, like, not committed jab, just poke, poke, poke. Because as Kulabdam starts to feel that, he tries to open up, and that's when Kawanchai will make some space and just catch Kulabdam. Knees up in the middle, switch kicks were really good. Just kind of like a lot of that... Sort of the stuff that um, just the bread and butter for dealing with an aggressive puncher, just keep the switch piece across the arms to wear him down, keep pushing out the team. He would also do this really nice. As you can see, Kulabdam's a guy that he has a lot of like the really fundamental aspects of someone who likes to get in and just scrap with the hands, basically. He's like, you can see Kulabdam would make like a frustrated sort of charge forward, and Tawanchai's breathes were so good, he would get this good, like sort of lunging kind of side teeth. Push it up in the middle to hold Kulabdam. Make Kulabdam chase in because as Kulabdam has to cover distance, then Tower tries easier for him to read how Kulabdam coming forward. Just beautiful. like, And then outside of just this bread and butter stuff, like really advanced use of his hands to kind of... If you're going to fight Kulabdam, you have to wear his hands a little bit. So Kulabdam would use this really nicely educated guard to kind of just cross block and things like that and like keep Kulabdam just an arm's length away. So even if Kulabdam's landing with a punch, it's just kind of bouncing off the top of his head. Just unreal ability to be cool under pressure because I think for a guy like Kulabdam, you're never going to make it 100% pretty. He's just too aggressive and just too committed to coming forward. So Tawanchai would be riding the line of fire for periods of time. But just Kulabdam for this whole... I love in the first fight, just could not get anything done. Like, he would eventually get in and get close to Tawanchai, but Tawanchai would just be able to just sit snug behind like a good good tight guard, keep like that kind of cross block where he sort of sits behind his forearm, crosses his forearm across his face, so there's just like sort of just snugging behind his arm, like in sort of a defensive shell, keep the arm out and then just pivot out. But every time Kulabdam sat his heels down and thought he was going to start belting out these punches, he would just be punching it air and just have to keep tracking Tawanchai, who kind of slide backwards to hold his distance. But it was just this funny thing where every time the two of them fight, 
Tula Thumbs camp just kind of had like some kind of excuse. They're like, oh, we need a different weight. So they'll do the weight and they'll try it again. And like every time the side bet went, the side bet went up and up. So every time there was just ridiculous amounts of money on these fights to the point where I think the last fight, the side bet between the camps was three million baht, which is like even in our money, that's not bad. It's decent. Let's find out. It's a a few things, right? (laughs) It was the second time. Was also um, we had yeah, so it was about like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in Australian dollars. We've gone up. We've also things like Kill Up Dance Camp would put up. Like I remember in the second fight, the Kill Up Dance sort of manager, the owner of his camp, said that he would buy him a house if he won the fight. Like, every time the stakes just went up and up and up, and every time Pouncha was just too cool. <laughs> like, too, like, Kulatan is, like, I think, like, Pouncha, I mean, I guess because he beat him three times, it's pretty fair to say. He's kind of just Kulatan's group tonight. Mm. He's just too tricky and too, like, his Kulatan's style, for Pouncha's style and Pouncha's mentality, as in, like, I think Kulatan discourages a lot of people because when they start to feel the power, even if he's not landing, even if he's landing on the guard, if you feel that power, people will kind of get a little bit sort of apprehensive to keep playing this, the, the move away sort of game. Talon tried to stuck to his guns on it, stayed smart. They read Kulabdam. I think that's like the most impressive thing to watch about all three of these fights is the way that he just read, read Kulabdam, read his movements and just kept it. So Kulabdam almost looked like he was just trucking forward, forward, forward because he just couldn't get anything that he wanted to get off. I think that was just like, really like the... the crowning thing in Talon Chai's year that really puts him as fighter of the year for me is the trilogy with Kulab Dam. Just because Kulab Dam was the fighter of the year the year before, I think like you can almost treat the fighter of the year title here as like a defending title. Talon Chai fetched it from Kulab Dam and just showed like an unbelievable like work in the technical style to just get rid of a knockout puncher. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's funny how, like, uh, some fighters, like, the more they fight someone, like, they can really just take in, like, you know, the other person's style. And, like, you know, and like you said, like, basically from round five to almost, like, 15 rounds from there, they just acquire more knowledge and they can use it against them. But, like, the other fighters that, you know, just go, no, nah, I just got my certain game plan and I think I can do it by, like, you know, maybe more pressure. Yeah. And I think, like, the other thing with, like, um, this one could be, like, a Shut up, <laughs> We're in Australia. <laughs> I think um, Kulabdam, with the way that his camp would say, oh, we just need to fight again. The weight was wrong. We're going to go up two pounds and things like that. Is it, it kind of demonstrated they were shying away from the reasoning behind Kulabdam losing. They wouldn't accept it. And I think you see that in kind of every combat sport in that if you're just going to look at it as like, oh, we would have won if we had the right weight or we would have won this. Or, I, it was like, I think the problems were the first time, they didn't like the weight. They wanted the weight moved up, so they moved up the weight, did it again. And the second time, they disagreed with the decision. So they did it again at a major stadium. And it's just, I think we see this a lot in combat sports. Like, if you're coming up with excuses, you're going to bring the same set of tools in again and just hope that the odds are in your favour. Whereas, Talonjo's had the smart plan. He just, Kulabdam sort of seemed to approach his fights like, as soon as I touched Talonjo, I could knock him out and chase him around for that and then there was just environmental factors made him lose the judges or their weight or things like that whereas Tamachai was just using his eye and just 
neutralizing QLM Dubs. I think maybe QLM Dubs didn't approach the rematches like he needed to do anything different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Was all three of those fights fought at the same stadium? No, they were... Um, I think two of the fights were at Raja, but then the middle fight was at this like massive sort of um, festival show in Buran that they did like a real stack. Um, you know, like, there was, seemed to be tens of thousands of people there, but there was also, like, super left foot kayak on the same show. Hmm. And, um, yeah, just a really cool... I don't know, I can't remember exactly what the occasion was, but it was just this sort of, like, massive outdoor show that they did. Yeah, and they just knew it would be a banger. <laughs> yeah, <it was> a <laughs> banger. <laughs> nice. All right, cool. So, let's go to my pick from there. <clears throat> oh, let me bring it up. All right, so I picked... Um, uh, boxer, um, Alexander Usyk from there, from Ukraine, from there. So, um, also known as the cat, that one. So, uh, Usyk had like a, just a, uh, a massive year, uh, in 2018 from that. Um, <clears throat> so like, like going into like, you know, basically like the end of 2017 though, like, uh, he, he was the WBO cruiserweight champion from there. And, um, then he fought like Marco Huck. To, in the World Boxing Super Series, um, which is like, a, it's a really good setup. I really like the World Boxing Super Series because really what they do a lot of times with these kind of tournaments, they set up, they set up a really good cruiserweight tournament. Like, you know, everyone in the bracket was, was a, a title holder, you know, everyone from you know, WBO, WBC, IBF, from that. And they just kind of pin them all together in a tournament style. So he beat Marco Hunt by a TKO. Um, then in 2018, like he started his 2018 uh, campaign in January, he fought uh, uh, Marius uh, Bretis of Latvia. And like, you know, I, I say that, like it went the whole 12 rounds and um, uh, <clears throat> Usyk uh, won by decision. Like I recommend people to go watch that fight from there. It was really close. Like um, uh, Mari, um, Marius was probably like uh, landing the hardest shots, but... Usyk, uh, Usyk's got that kind of style where it's like, you know, it feels like you're going good for the first six rounds against him and, like, you know, you, it might be fairly competitive close and then it's like a snowball effect. Like, you know, by, like, you know, round nine and things like that, it's like, you know, it's just going all downhill. Like, and it's kind of surprisingly, like, from there, like, this kind of Ukrainian kind of style that's, oh, like, you know, all these Ukrainians from the the amateur days of, like, the Olympic boxing program, like, um because he came up the same time as uh, Vasily Lomachenko, like this kind of like beautiful footwork style, lots of working like, you know, basically in both stances, using the jab very nicely from there, but also like seems to like read their opponents a bit for the first few rounds and then just kind of like the volume that just gets, just gets piled up is just amazing. Some yeah. like, uh, like some like Lomachenko expects, very light, light person, still picks a ton of power from there, but not you wouldn't expect this from like a cruiserweight. And generally, probably like a guy that can go into heavyweight now after that. But like, yeah, watch the Mar- uh, Marius Burroughs fight. Um, and then in July of 2018, he was up against Murat Gassiev of Russia, who's like, you know, like um, a power puncher um, off of that. And I think um, they might have put Murat as a slight favorite into that for some reason. I don't know why. But, <clears throat> but like, you know, you can see like, um, using, using a very smart jab cane, turning you know, angles, picking his left hand very nicely after like a lot of jabs from there. Like um, just basically just pieced up Murat Gassiev for 12 rounds. Like, you know, it's pretty much like a shutout performance from there. Yeah, that was a real shutout. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, like, basically, that, like, you know, that was the finals of the World Boxing Super Series. So at the end of that, um, he got the WBC title, the WBO title, the WBA title, the IBF title. Um, he also got the rings and linear cruiserweight titles off of that one. So, like, you know, really, like, I'm probably going to say he's the best cruiserweight ever to kind of think. Like, you yeah. know, other than that, like, you know, uh, Evander Holyfield, he's really good. But, like, you know, just for the resume of the people he's fought and, like, you know, and, like, unifying all the belts and, like, not really fighting a lot of bums either. Um, he's probably, like, on the term, like, you know, like the, the real pit bull, Mr. The Mr. Mr. Worldwide. Because, <laughs> like, you know, like he, he fought a lot, like the early career, like, you know, a lot of like um, when he won his uh, WBO title in 2014, like, you know, fighting hometown Ukraine. But, like, you know, uh, and had like four fights after that in Ukraine. Then he just go like the Poland fight, um, went to America a couple of times to like, you know, the, 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 um, defend his title. Then he went to like Germany to fight Marco Hunt, who is German as well, to fight him in his backyard, which is a big feat. Especially if you know you're not, if you don't know if you're gonna knock him out or not, like you don't want to try and eat a decision there. Um, went to Maris Beres' backyard in Fort in Latvia. Went to Marat Gasser's backyard in Russia, and then like um, the finish his 2018 campa- uh, campaign, he went into England to fight Tony Bellew, um, <clears throat> which was itself was a great fight. Bellew landed some great shots on uh, Usyk from there, and then like. Yeah. Probably like like the fifth, sixth round, maybe a little bit early from there. Like you just see the snowball effect again starting to happen. Like he just just picking up the volume massively from that one. And then like you know just in the eighth round, just piece was piecing Tony Bill up and just when he got him against the rope, just just clean clean knocked him out flat. That um, and probably like in terms of boxing, maybe one of the the big contender for knockout of the year for that one. It was like it was it was it was just, it was just a very nice performance. From him, um, so after doing like you know, like I, I don't know what he's going to do now. Like he, like in terms of if he's going to have enough cruiserweight, but he has talked about moving up the heavyweight and campaigning there. And like really, there's some awesome fights from that. Yeah, there's good fights the heavyweight for him. Yeah, and like really, like you know, like the cruiserweight division is like I think it's like just on two hundred pounds from there. And you yeah. think about someone like Deontay Wilder who for like. I think he said on the when he entered the ring the night against Tyson Fury, he was like two oh nine pounds, which yeah. is ridiculous. I reckon uh, probably even like gas. Uh, I mean, um, Usyk probably weighed even more than that when he gets back in the ring hydrated from there. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, but like you know, like like you know, uh, I wouldn't probably put him against those guys straight away. Obviously, you want to build up and get some more money and things like and get your name out there because internationally, like he's a huge star, um, Usyk. But like you know, in places like American things like that, not as big. No one, but you want to build him up. Maybe put him up against someone like, like you know, uh, uh, Luis Ortiz. You know, that's a good name and a good fight for yeah. him. And that one, like to really build him up. But like, um, like man, I just love watching him. It's like his boxing yeah, is just, to watch. it's just fantastic to watch from there. If you ever go to his Instagram, he's a fucking weird dude though. He's like, he's, t- <laughs> <laughs> he's so, he's so European. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but yeah, definitely watch like uh, um, like I said, watch the the Marius Burris fight because uh, like just how close it was, and like Marius Burris, like you know, watch him as well. He's a great fighter. Um, but also watch the Tony Bellew fight because like you know, it was just it was just a really smart performance 
from there. Like, you know, Bell, you did have some, he did have some great shots in there. Like, you know, so it shows that Yusik does have a, does have a chin on him. That he can take the punishment and still can still follow through the game plan. Okay. Yeah. And um and just like just really to finish off there, like just quickly going over his amateur career from there, like um I think he where is it? I can't see see it. But like, you know, he, he won gold in the two thousand twelve Olympic Games at heavyweight off of that one. And let's see if, and he finished amateur boxing with a record of three hundred and fifty uh three hundred and thirty five wins and fifteen losses. Very average. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like usual like lazy European Boxing, yeah. <laughs> Might once every couple of years, sort of thing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, he just got lucky, you know. <laughs> All right. So that, that, that finishes mine. So now what well, we're just talking to now, so we'll, we'll go a little bit closer to home. So we'll talk a little bit more like, you know, Australian or like you're the uh, like we're trans pick here from that one, like you know, Australian enough will claim him from that one. That's, he's New Zealand, but he's close enough. Hey, it's like there's nothing more Australian than claiming a guy that's closest to us, <laughs> and then he goes like, you know, yeah, he's one of us. So you know, like Anzacs. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're all Anzacs. Yeah. That's that's what we say when we want to claim someone who's not Australian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who did you pick there, Grant? Um, Israel, the last old bander, Adesanya. So um, you know, to be fair, he's actually oh, yeah. born. What's that? He's actually Nigerian. Yeah, I was about to say, he's actually born in Nigeria and uh, New Zealand claimed him. So he's fighting out of... <laughs> so yeah, he started he started his career, martial arts career, um, with Taekwondo apparently. And then his mum, he broke his arm and his mum pulled him out of that. So he went over to kickboxing and he was... When less, he was... Definitely a less contact sport. Yeah. <laughs> That's way safer. Um, yeah, he was born in Lagos uh, in Nigeria did Taekwondo. I'm getting this from Wiki, so it's 100% accurate. Um, taekwondo for a brief time. Um, he moved to uh, Rotorua in New Zealand, uh, and he started doing kickboxing when he was about 18. He got inspired by the movie Ong Bak. Who, who hasn't? Who yeah. hasn't been? Tony Jaa, he's legend. <laughs> um, he went on, I reckon his kickboxing, his amateur kickboxing record was 32-0. and zero. And then he moved to China. Um, that's pretty. That's an unusual transition, isn't it? Nigeria to New Zealand to China. Yeah. But like more, more kickboxers in particular are trying to move to China from there because it's just the there's a lot more opportunities to fight, especially yeah, like yeah. In, like pure kickboxing. I imagine the scene where you get put up as well. Mm. Yeah, I imagine the, the potential for audiences there is way way bigger as well. Um, it's all about the gambling. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he went back to Auckland. He moved back to Auckland in New Zealand when he was 21. And he started training at City Kickboxing there. So I don't know if you guys... Oh, well, Dan Hooker, he fights out of there. And Kai Kara France. Yeah. Yeah, he's another guy from that gym. The, the, the coach is Eugene Behrman. Smart dude. So it sounds like a pretty pretty solid gym. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, he made his pro debut in 2012 in Hong Kong, Australia, and China. Um, he got a record of uh, 11-0 with all wins coming via TKO stoppage, and that's just just before he got signed to UFC. So I, because he's got like four four back to back wins in 2018 alone, that's why I went with him. This I think in tapology. He ranked at number three uh, for like out of the I don't know fan voting or whatever they do it there 
for the um, MMA Fighter of the Year. But I, I was just impressed. He's gone from a, a huge, a huge uh, kickboxing record. I think it was like fifty and zero or something, 60, 50, 0, some outrageous record like that for his pro career. So the UFC scooped him up based on that as well, just because he already had a hardcore uh, fight fan base. So a yeah, lot of people. Yeah. Were... Well, was that you? Even as a kickboxer, like he always had like a bit of a. Like, just a really passionate following. Like, people love his style better. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember that one fight he had, like, for me, I think, like, one of those viral moments where, like, you know, when the round finishes, you go back to the corner. He just stood and stand in the ring. He didn't go back yeah. to the corner. He's just standing there, just, like, just eyeing off the dude. goes, well, I'm ready. out in on Fury in Adelaide, if I recall correctly. Oh, yeah? <laughs> cool. Shout out to Ethan Sheps. We'll get you on the show again, mate. Like, 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 we're meant to get you on the show, but like, yeah, it's like, you know, scheduling wasn't quite right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess I guess it's because of performances like that. They got him noticed. And the 11-0 record he got in MMA. So UFC scooped him up. But he was saying, I, I read some something interview with him recently. He was saying that um, he's, his um, manager, might be his trainer, I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. But he said they tried to do it a bit smarter than guys like... Um, Sage Northcott, Northcutt or Paige Van Sant, when they, they went too hard too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to sort of build them up a bit more slowly. But that's paid off for them, you know. Getting getting four wins in one year, 2018 alone, that's enough to give him a lot of credibility. Especially when he went, like his first one was um, in February against Rob Wilkinson. And he got performance of the night for that one, the bonus for that. Then in April, he went against uh, Marvin Vittori. Uh, that was a split decision in his favour. After that, in July, was Brad uh, Tavares. That, that was in the, uh, the tough finale. Uh, that was a unanimous decision. But he still got performance of the night for that one. And uh, the last one he did was against Derek Brunson. And that was the one they were saying, oh, that's going to be his real test because Brunson's a wrestler. So, you know, that style versus style kind of matchup. How's he going to go? But, man, he made it, he made it look easy against Brunson. Um, I thought Brunson would get him down at least once or twice, but he didn't. His takedown defense was really good. Yeah, he, his, his movement was really good, and he won that one by TKO. Performance of the night, uh, knee to the head, wasn't it? Knee to the face. Yeah. Yeah. Lasted that dome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cracked his skull. But like, it's, it's good to see, like, in people, like, you know, a lot of people. Hi, truck. <laughs> but, like, um, it's like. As someone that's like pretty much like you know like a elite striker from there, like <clears throat> how he's able to just like kind of like not totally avoid the ground game, he can still like you know get in like you know get back up, but like you know to kind of like not get taken down heaps, like you know he's just he uses the range, he's full work to get out of the way, and also just like really kind of posting on people heaps from that one, and just kind of like you know just a good commanding of distance yeah. at times. It's like and but also like the same thing like you know he'll be out long. You know, kind of popping the shots off, you know, reading and like, you know, making walking stuff. And then if you get close, he's he's got a game prepared for that close. Like, you know, he uses his frames well and like, you know, turn off's pretty good as of that one. And then like, you know, just like it's, it's just really smart work from him. How do you, how do you rate him against Anderson Silva? <laughs> I was like, fuck, this is like, you know, this is going into BJ Penn territory for me. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's that's the impression I got. But I was listening to Chow Sonnen and Ariel Hawani talk about it. And Hawani was saying, why, why all the hate for this matchup? You know, um, Anderson Silva has a high fight IQ. That was that was their argument. And Chao Sonnen said the same thing. He's got a really high fight IQ. It's not it's not a given that he's going to get smashed. 
yeah. boys run off. Yeah, it's fine. It's like um, I don't know. It's, it's it seems more like a mental thing for Anderson Silva now. Mm. Like you know, it's like sometimes he just just doesn't pull the trigger if he like you know if he feels like he's constantly under like under threat. And like you know, it, with Israel, like you know, this the amount of like you know feints and setups that he does, like you know, from that one probably like might shut uh, Silva down in terms of like his offense. Which is where, like, you know, that's where Silver's, like, bread and butter is. Like, you know, it's, like, just really good offense. So that one's smart. Like, you know, but I think, like, Israel's, like, you know, like, Anderson version uh, 2.0. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. I mean, there were, uh, the Anderson Silver was arguing against all of that. But, you know, of course he's going to, you know, everyone who is more impartial is going to make that comparison. It's inevitable. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. So, yeah, so, like, you know, the style benders making waves from there. Like, like yeah, he's one of my favorites to watch. Like, and you think about, like, it now, like, you know, to get him back in, like, you know, to get, get him right at the top, like, you know. Um, well, yeah, well, he's got the answer to Silver match, which kind of seems strange to me. Just, like, you know, it's like, I, I, like, you know, I thought like they'd be trying to push him towards the title shot a bit more, but it's a, like, Anderson Silver still a name. For me, it, like, it's going to be, like, a hot, like, I really think it's just going to be a highlight performance for Israel, kind yeah. of speaking, that one. But, like, you know, I'd rather, like, see him, like, you know, against, like, like, um, you know, Chris Weidman, Luke Rockhold, fuck, Yoli Romero, if you can make weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see him against Jacare. <laughs> Jacare, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be an interesting fight. Like, if you want to put him, like, you know, that, that real contrast of, you know, striker versus grappler kind of matchup yeah. from there. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. And then eventually, the big one. Whitaker versus Israel. Yeah. Oh. That's a good fight. That's a fucking fight. That's the, that's the people people want to see. Yeah, that's it. It's one of those fights as well. Like, if you, know, you have to do it in Australia, I'd go watch it. I think he wants it in New Zealand. But yeah, he wants it in New Zealand. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been there, though. Might be a nice trip. Yeah, that's it. Well, we're actually both from New Zealand. Yeah, true. <laughs> it kind of, kind of makes sense, I suppose. That's it. Like I said, it's like there's nothing more Australian than claiming something. <laughs> uh, okay, he's, so who you got for your Australian pick, mate? Again, I've got to keep it full tie rules, just for some flavour. I think the Australian fight of the year has got to be Toby Smith. Hmm. Can't really pick against him. I think Toby, like he had a massive year. I think it was... Four fights for four wins for Toby. I'm pretty sure that's how many he had. Yeah. But um, yeah, four fights for wins for Toby. And he's just Toby feels like he's been around forever, but he's still so young. I think Toby's twenty four now. Mm. And last he came back after I think close to two years off because he beat um John Wayne Parr, like smashed John Wayne Parr a couple of years ago, and then he took a pretty long break. Like, just where I think he was just burnt out and just had enough and came back. And he came back, like, like went, came, left a 70, 72.5 and came back a 76 kilo fighter, a real super middleweight, and has reaped the benefits of just letting himself grow a little bit in his break. Because I think when you start as young as Kobe does, you can kind of pick a weight class when you're still growing, and then that weight cut comes harder and harder and harder when you don't have to keep making it. You should just let yourself fill out and grow. Yeah, smart. Looking really good at 76. Like, looks better than ever, I think. And I think, like, the most scary thing about Toby Smith this year is he's still getting heaps better. Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, every every fight, like, he's, in particular, like you said, like, you know, like, he, 
was just a clinch fight. Like, you know, basically, you know, heavy base clinch fight, but now his hands look really good. Yeah, it was just a, like he's still, I think, that's still a clinch fighter. Mm. If I had to pick one. Yeah. But he's a very time workout, but like he still likes to just get in and just walk up just when Lendler's grab, just grab a hold of his mother and knee. But like, really kind of what makes him the fight of the year is he fought um, really tough European who's based in Thailand, Yakub Banko on Rebellion to start the year. And Yakub came in on uh, a week's notice and he's about seven feet tall. So that's something <laughs> to do with that kind of notice. And the two went to war, like it was a pretty commanding decision win for Toby, particularly because you could did fade towards the end. Um, but it was worth running back. They did a rematch. And that that shows you what a thinking fighter Toby is that when he had the full prep for your coup, went for a big award to a second round KO, just left hook, starched him. Hmm. He went to the camp, the same thing. So to see Toby developing into someone with quite a savvy boxing game for Muita. Which he really never had in the past. Like he just wasn't particularly interested in punching. He'd just come forward. He was a really tight, old-fashioned Thai style. He wanted to just get in close. Whether it meant wearing a few shots, it didn't matter. He would just put his forearms up and get into the things. But he's become really versatile, and and it shows that even though he's as experienced as he is, because he is like as far as high-level opposition in particular, he's probably the most experienced fighter, not necessarily in number of fights, but in high-level experience and how long he's been doing it. One of the most experienced fighters getting around in Australia at the moment. And he's still adding things to his arsenal and becoming a more complete fighter. But I thought his year was just unreal. We had the two fights with um, Ikul Benko, the one that was uh, that, probably the fight of the year, for my money, um, his first fight. Second fight, maybe the knockout of the year. Yeah, just that beautiful left hook like that really just showed a more versatile style and then outside of that just two demolition jobs just destroyed um, Eddie Farrell who came to fight Eddie Farrell came in from Thailand to fight Toby on other home show in Perth but Toby just cut him gave him a beautiful cut and then he also fought another short ocean play he was supposed to fight Brad Riddell another city kickboxing boy and that would be a very interesting fight I probably would have favoured Toby in that fight, particularly from tie rules, as Brad Riddell is typically these days more of a kickboxer. Yeah. But I fought uh, Bruno Miranda, who's a, another Tiger Muay Thai fighter, on short notice, and that was good luck. Uh, fair play to Bruno for stepping up, not just the mm-hmm. multiple passes ahead with Toby, and just that was when we saw a little bit. I don't think, like, you talk about Toby using tools for the the arsenal. He didn't need to use any of his, the tools he'd added in that fight. Like, he just went back to classic Toby, just marched across the ring with that relentless step. Oh, we've got a second round stoppage, but I think, uh, yeah, he's definitely, I think, like, it's hard to sort of uh, measure combat sports against each other, but I think those in the know would say Toby's a front runner for our top combat sports athlete across the board, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like where at the level that he competes at, like and some of the guys that he's fought, like Toby hasn't lost. I'm pretty sure since a cut stop, he's lost to Kemp Sitsongkinong a few years ago. Mm-hmm. But like Toby's legitimately world class and probably the best in the world at super middle. I think. Mm-hmm. I think some there's some big matches coming for him next year. I think I have to put him as the fighter of the year just because he barely got touched all year, really in some elite level fights, and I think. Very exciting times for Toby Smith, especially with um, Rebellion Muay Thai. He's exclusively fighting for them in Melbourne. 
and I know there's some big matchups in the works for him with Rebellion because they love him in Melbourne. Mm. Oh yeah, it's funny though, isn't it? Like a Perth boy that just commands such an audience in Melbourne. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, I guess he just commands. He's one of few five offers in Australia that has a legitimate fan base. Like when Toby flies, it's not just a big group of Toby's friends and family watching him fly. Like everyone in Australia wants to see Toby fly. He doesn't need to sell the tickets hand to hand. He sells the tickets because he's the king. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone wants him. Like now, like um, like you know, like one of our, I guess it's been on before. Cy, owner of Bellamy yeah. Thai from there, is like really committing to WBC. So you reckon we'll see uh, Toby Smith versus Hanzo in two thousand nineteen? I think, like, I don't know how much. I like hopefully, sort of the organisational things don't get in the way as they tend to, like. Like, you think about, like, you know, even, like, just local town, like, you know, do Charlie Bob again. Like, um, I don't I don't, I, I don't know if, like, Jake, him, him Jack Lurin will ever fight <laughs> the way it's going at the moment. <laughs> yeah. But that'll be a good fight as well, you know? Yeah, I don't know what, yeah, I'm not sure what the story on that was, but I think if you really want to see Jake Lurin fight Toby Smith, just get over it. <laughs> like, it might have happened. Like, it's one of those ones, like, it seems like a fight we've just got to see. But, um, it, it's hard when you get two guys like these two that are really, I guess, know their worth and won't won't budge on it. Like, neither of these guys, are, like, Jake Lund in particular, like, he, you know, he wants meaningful fights. I've seen, like, there was, people were talking about him being retired for a while. Oh, yeah. Which he just says he's not retired, he just... You know, won't budge on fighting for less than he feels he's worth, and he wants meaningful fights. So, like, 
if you're telling me he's fighting Toby, he's not going to say, is he too late? He's just going to want to fight Toby. But apparently, I, I guess the terms didn't really suit him for that. Mm. And like, he wants to fight Charlie Barb again as well. And, uh, yeah, yeah, like it's just, uh, you've got to get someone who's willing to pay both. Like when you got, that's like a double A side fight, I guess. Yeah. That's two expensive dudes. Yeah, that's true. And takes a promoter with big pockets to really like, when you get two guys that, they're not going to fight someone for the sake of their legacy. Um, their legacies are kind of set, <laughs> like they want the money. Yeah. Which is fine. You have to be that way when you get to a certain level. And it's like, you know, it's fucked. There's, there's not many people that come in big paydays in Muay Thai. <laughs> not many, but um, these guys, I think, both do. Uh, it's a, kind of a funny one as well because Jake, I don't really, I think, look, the Jake they're still figuring things out with their world expansion with how the titles actually work. But the international champion, which I guess is a buffer between like just before the world title, actually is Jake Lund. Hey. No, it's kind of bizarre because you've got Toby's obviously the guy that you'd want to put up for the world title, but we also have the international champion within Australia in that weight class. It's a bit funny. Yeah. Okay, I never knew that. Yeah, but you've also got, I can see here on the rankings, it says international champion Jake Lund uh, on 60-day vacate notice. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, I guess that's the only thing about like, you know, not taking fights as well. Gonna... Yeah, which is weird because they also have like world champions that like won the title four years ago hmm. and have never defended it. So that that's a pretty hasty vacate notice. <laughs> it's like yeah, get moving quick. But like I guess as well, like you know, with those ones, it's not like anyone internationally is like you know, like you know, I want to bring Junkalone over and defend my t- defend his title, you know, anywhere else. Yeah, well, it really seems like uh, there's that little network of WBC shows up in Queensland that. And doing a really good job of like building through the titles. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's hard because it's not necessarily a network of international shows where if you win an international title, you can go overseas. But it would really take someone overseas getting built into a point where a promoter goes, I want this guy in for an international belt, and then they have to reach to who that is. But I think that's coming just with these rankings sort of keeping tabs on who all the titles are held by. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to a point where you can't just slap a title on any show. You actually have to reach for a defending champion. Yeah, that's true. Just takes time. It takes time. That's okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Sweet. So, <clears throat> so that was Toby Smith in that one. Always a good fight. The worst one, like, yeah, those two fights that uh, you alluded to earlier, the, the crackers are watching. You can watch on Rebellion Muay Thai on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. Yeah, cool. All right. And I'll go into my pick from there. So, you got? Um, I couldn't really find any Australian boxes. <laughs> Funnily enough, there's a few coming up, but like, um, I think 2018 they've got to build a little bit more. But like, um, I actually picked an MMA guy. He fought, and with like I talked to before, he fought the other day, um, Alexander Volkanovsky from that one. Um, also known as Alex the Great, known previously as also Hulk Hands. <laughs> I call him the volcano. The volcano. That makes more sense. <laughs> Yeah, and um, so he's a local lad. He's from New South Wales in Shell Harbour. From that one, like, which is you don't hear very often. From that one, like, breaking into the scene from there. Um, <clears throat> so Alexander Volkanovsky from that. Um, let me check out his career. So he got into the UFC in 2016 against uh, Yusuke uh, Kasuya. Won by Tico Punches in the second round of that one. That was a, that was a Melbourne show as well where uh, Whitaker versus Bryson was the headliner of the UFC fight, fight night. 
Um, and then since from there, like he hasn't lost in the UFC yet, so you know he fought um, Mizuto Hirota. On 2017, Lewis versus Hunt. Uh, Shane Young, who was like a, a late nurse replacement in Sydney in, two, in 2017 as well. And then his 2018 um, campaign started in February in Perth, where he fought uh, Jeremy Kennedy and won by punches and elbows, TKO, in the second second round. Um, then he fought, like, probably like was one of his, his breakout performance, um, or beginning of his breakout performance, where he fought in uh, Boise, Idaho, against the damage... Darren Elkins, like probably he's up there like top three worst tattoos ever. Not worst, one. no, I would say top one. Top one, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fucking bad. That's worse than Hiroto's pop. <laughs> man, it's like I don't know, like you know, you have it's like uh, like the tattoo artist is doing it, man. Like you know, it mustn't be a good tattoo artist because like you'd be advising person go, this probably isn't going to be a good tattoo. <laughs> so probably you know, you just had like. A wildly different idea. Maybe he just said, like, give me a really cool tattoo that says the damage, and then, like, he just closed his eyes the whole time the tattoo was getting done. Maybe he just gave a second rate tattoo artist too much creativity. True. Yeah, it seems like, you know, it's like it's like any profession there. Like, there's true professionals, and then there's guys that just go, yeah, you know, good enough kind of job. I let her to do it in prison. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he fought Darren Elkins and wanted to see him there, and, like, um, yeah, watch that fight. It was a really good fight. Like, you know, Darren Alexander was, was picking a few shots on, um, Alexander, uh, on um, Alex the Great. But, like, um, if you look at uh, Volkanovski's kind of style from there, and, like, you know, like his fight he had proves, uh, like, you know, just recently with Chad Mendes, he's almost like Chad Mendes in that one. Like, you know, like he's, he's very right-hand dominant, like, in terms of – but he mixes it up. Like, you know, he throws an overhand. He's been mixing up with, with elbows particularly as well, which is, like, a, I really like to see. But, like, funny enough, with the overhand as well, like, you know, because he sets it up off of, like, you know, just go, he, he, he shoots in off of it. So, like, you know, sometimes you think he's going down to shoot for a day, and then sometimes, and sometimes like, it just sets up the right hand because, like, you know, if you if someone's constantly shooting on you from that one to sprawl, you have to usually get your hands down on them, you know, kind of blocking the arms and the shoulders or, you know, you know basically post down the head. And that kind of leaves your head pretty wide open a lot of times. So, um... <clears throat> Sometimes he also has, like, you know, that kind of style, like, whereas, like, you know, Fedor Emilianko, whereas, like, you know, you go with the right hand, doesn't matter who, who might land or you might not, and then kind of go into, like, straight off that, into, like, you know, like a knee tap kind of takedown, that which, like, you know, works really well into his game. So, you know, it's that kind of short means wrestler, like, uh, wrestler kind of game, which I like. Um, so, like, the fight that just recently happened on UFC 232, um, in California, where he first, first, uh, uh, versus Chad Mendes. That one, like, um, honestly, Chad Mendes, like, as you, you got to expect from that one, like, you know, he's fucking strong. He's, he's quite, quite a good striker, like, from there, and, um, and a very good wrestler as well. So, like, you know, you could see very early, like, you know, Chad Mendes kind of imposing himself, getting Volkanovski to, to move back, which you don't see very too often, like, you know, same thing. He was landing his own right hands in, and, like, um, actually dropped Volkanovski very briefly off a left hook. And, uh, but also as well, like, you know, shot like uh, power double legs and single legs and like taking Volkanovski down. That, um, Alex did a good job, like, you know, just basically just getting back up also, you know, to, to not, not getting pinned down too much from there. <clears throat> and really what we saw into the second round from there, the tide starting to turn a little bit. That one, like, um, Volkanovski, like he, like he 
very good working off the, like, you know, basically once he gets like, his opponents back on the fence, like that's where he does a lot of his great work. That one doesn't, it's like, he's either like, you know, sitting on the mid range very well, like, you know, lining up the right hand. He's starting now to use his left, like, you know, uh, you know tapping in the jab and then banging the right hand or using the hook, uh, uh, using a, uh, a left uppercut or a left body shot, you know, in conjunction with his overhand, which is like a very good fundamental technique, that over-under. And that's what actually uh, caught Mendes. He came in, tapped him to the body with the left, that one, and then, like, you know, Mendes, as he dropped his guard from there, just, like, you know, this, like, landed a good right hand on the dome, and that dropped Mendes to the fence, and then off from there, like, Volkanovski just fucking teed off on his head for about <laughs> for, for mm. a good few shots until the referee stepped in. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, like, he, he's, he's, he's a very interesting fighter, like, in, in this division uh, to watch from there. Like, a, a, a few people are, like, are calling for, like, you know, him versus Holloway. Eh, I'll, I'll probably want to see him in another fight or so to get that. Like, him versus jo- Jose Otto? That'd be mm. a good fight. Yeah. That'd be a really good fight. I don't, I don't think they'll give him Holloway that soon. No. I think they'll give him someone else first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I said, like, Jose Otto, that's that's a really good fight. You know, the, the anti-wrestler and see, like, how the striking goes. Oh. For that, um, him versus Ortega. That'd be a banger matchup. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> probably yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be awesome as well. Like, there's there's heaps of good fights, um, but like you know, the king of the fev- that featherweight division, like Max Holloway, this is a big ask. That's a you know, yeah, it's a, it's a long dude that can like you know doesn't like doesn't really get himself pinned on the fence very often, and it's the same thing with like you know anyone that's got that kind of long style. Like he has like he keeps you on the end of the punch, but when you go on the inside, uses his frames and kind of clinch clinch work very well, which we saw against him versus Ortega, and like you know. Uh, makes him very hard man to take down or to smother against the fence. Um, so yeah, he's kind of in a league of his own at this point. But oh. I think uh, mm-hmm. if Max goes up next, which he suggested he might do, mm-hmm. not out of the question that Volkanovski could get the title. Oh, definitely not. I think like you know that's that's probably the best case scenario for that strap. Like you know yeah. anyone else like other than Max Holloway. It's like it's a, yeah, that's a really it's yeah. like it's, I like his chances a lot. I, th- I think Holloway is his only roadblock. To getting the belt. Mm. I'd still like to see the fight if Holloway stays down. But, uh, yeah, I think I wouldn't pick anyone against Holloway at this point. Nah. Well, like, if anything in terms of that fight, it would be a good learning fight for him. And, like, you know, like, yeah. like basically from when he got into the UFC originally, like, going from, like, you know, power wrestler to, like, just only having a right hand, he's adding skills. So, he's going, like I said, he's yeah. starting to use his left to, like, to set up the right hand a bit more. And it's like he's very smart and starting to do it now. And it's also like, you know, staying off the center line with his head and things like that. Um, like, you know, as, like I said, he's from New South Wales. He trains out of the freestyle fighting gym in Wingdang. It's near Wollongong for people who don't know. <laughs> Train under Joe Lopez from there. And like, you know, it's like credit to him. Like, you know, for like basically a pretty small kind of gym in that kind of area from there. Like he's done really well. He has yeah. spent time at City Kickboxing also under that one. And I think that's it's only good. You can only get better, like him versus, like, you know, him sparring Cara Francis be good. I saw him, like, you know, leading up to his fight, spending time with another up-and-coming, like, fighter, like Peter Yarn. Like, that's just awesome experience for him to kind of get under his belt from that one. And so it makes him very competitive. So, like, yeah. um, so, yeah, Alexander Volkanovsky is uh, definitely a guy to watch in 2019 from there. Um, 
watch these last two fights. Like, watch the Chad Mendes fights when it eventually comes out, probably in a fight pass from there, where you can, you can probably find it's it somewhere. It's a great fight. <laughs> you, you can probably find it somewhere on YouTube for now before they pull it down. <laughs> and you can probably find, like, Darren, like, um, Darren Elkins might be, yeah, it should be up on fight pass as well after that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Oh, the rain's coming. The rain's coming, March. Here come the thunder. <laughs> it's it's very welcome. <laughs> so, um, and I think they'll do us today. But I think they'll also do us for 2018. So, um, thank you very much for listening to us this year. From that one, like, yeah. And like, um, it's always from there. Like, you know, you can follow us on Instagram at End of the Double Dragon. Uh, also, you know, rate, review, and subscribe to us on all the good, uh, all the good uh, podcast platforms. Like, you know, catch us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, Podcast Addict, Podcast Addict, all those shitty Android ones. Yeah. Use. <laughs> <laughs> and um, on that, guys, any final words for 2018? Thank you, Hugh, and thank you, Shane, for a really great year. Mm-hmm. And here's to another year to come. Yeah. Thanks, fellas. Actually, good. And like, yeah, it's like, you know, we'll see you in 2019. Thank you very much. Of course. See you. See you. <laughs> you, you.